0: I call your attention to John 17 in your copy of the Scriptures. John 17, where the Lord has appointed to us today a tremendous verse of Scripture for our strengthening, for our encouragement, for our comfort. We've been working our way down through John 17 very carefully over the last couple months. And we've come down now to verse number 24. Verse 24 of John 17. And here is a statement of divine truth that has the potential of ministering to you hope amid all your troubles, and comfort in your grief, and security when you come to your deathbed. It is our Lord's final request in this great high priestly prayer, John 17 and verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world Amen In this high priestly prayer, our Lord Jesus has prayed that he would receive the reward of his own sufferings. He prayed for his own glorification in the first five verses. And then he prayed that those who had been given to him by the Father would be kept safe and sanctified in this present evil world. He explicitly included everyone who trusts in the name of Jesus Christ through the testimony, the word of the apostles in those requests. He prayed those things specifically for you and for me who trust the Lord, that we would be kept and that we would be sanctified. And he has stated That the desired end product of those requests is that we would be personally glorified. That we would all be brought to the state and condition that we are one with all of the blood-bought people of God from all ages. That we would be one in glory. And that we would share in the reward of his sufferings. And now, in addition to all of that, he makes this final request that believers in his name, on account of the apostolic testimony in his word, that believers in his name would be with him where he is. And behold His glory, the glory that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. Here is Jesus' prayer that we would be with him in glory. You see, he's not just content with our safekeeping. And he's not merely content with our being consecrated to him and separated from our sin. He's not even content with our glorification alone. His full satisfaction will only come when we are actually with Him in glory. So the love of Christ looks beyond this world in this prayer. And nothing can satisfy him when it comes to his redeemed people, but a blessed eternity for them in heaven, dwelling with him there and continually beholding the glory which the Father had given him. This is where his heart goes at the end of this prayer. And you see how strongly he states his desire there in verse 24. Father, I will. When it comes to this crowning climax of all of these petitions, he resorts to a strong expression of his own desire. He's speaking as a peer to a peer he is not a beggar with his hand held out to the Father. He is not coming as a servant or as a child. He is coming as an equal, and he is saying to his Father, It is my sovereign desire, my will, my unshakable, strong, powerful, eternal will that they be with me in glory and behold the glory which you've given to me. This, as you remember, is where the whole upper room discourse began. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions, If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And now when it comes to the end, three chapters later, It is the desire of his heart to ask the Father that we would be with him in glory. He prayed it that night. He's been praying it ever since, that we would be with him in glory. And so that is our theme this morning, with Jesus in glory. With Jesus in glory. And we'll divide the verse in half. Looking predominantly at the petition itself, what is it that he is praying for? And then, when it comes to the time that we are gathered around the Lord's table, we'll look at that last phrase, which is the argument he uses, the plea that he makes, that the Father had loved him from the before the foundation of the world. The petition and the plea what he asks for, and the basis of him asking it. When it comes to what he's praying for in this verse, there are three elements to it. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. There's three elements there. First, There's the place where Jesus is. The place where Jesus is. Now we know where Jesus was when he uttered this request. He had left the upper room with his 11 disciples. He had gone down out through the alleys and passageways through Jerusalem, out the gate that led down a valley to the Brook Kidron. He had yet to cross over that brook, so he's somewhere on the descent. They've stopped, and he's taught them, chapters 15 and chapters 16. And then at the end of chapter 16, he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he prays this prayer in their hearing. So where he was on that night was somewhere on the slopes of the eastern side of Jerusalem. And, of course, he's about to enter unutterable suffering. His soul will, just in an hour's time, be exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He was about to be delivered into the hands of murderers by a faithless disciple, a betrayer. And all of the events of the evening would culminate in his making his soul an offering for sin, taking our sins upon himself, bearing on himself the full justice and wrath of God for sin. He would become that curse for us. But he is in this moment able to leap over that entire fearful gulf and anticipate the boundless and endless glory that the Father had promised to give him. That his soul would not be left in the grave. That his body would not see corruption. That God would show him the path of life. And that in God's presence there would be fullness of joy. And that he would be exalted to the Father's right hand. He anticipates this. He leaps over that gulf of suffering. And he anticipates the glory that awaits him. And over and over again he has done that in this prayer. That's why we are on certain sure grounds to say that this prayer is a pattern of Jesus' intercession. Remember how he said in verse number four, I have finished the work. He's able to leap over the fact that the cross was yet to come, and he's speaking from the perspective of glory. He says down in verse number 11, I am no more in the world. Well, yes, he was. He was right there on the slopes of Jerusalem with those men. But... He's anticipating, being in glory, no longer being with them. He's, and verse 22, the same thing. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given them. But that hadn't happened yet. He had prayed for that glory in verse 1. He has yet to know the reward of his sufferings. So over and over again in this prayer, he's leaping forward. And he's talking about... The time when he is glorified and exalted and the requests that he will be making when he is in that exalted state. So where I am is therefore meant to be the place where the glorified God-man Jesus Christ entered when he ascended from earth. And the place where he has been ever since. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about that place that he prepared for us. The mansions that he mentions back in chapter 14. And remember what that word mansions meant. Permanent dwellings. Not tents. Nothing itinerant. No nomadic life. A place where a person can settle down and call Home with an unbroken residence. In my Father's house are many such permanent dwellings. With me, where I am, the place where he is. And then he not only prays that we would be where he is, but he prays that we would be with him him there. And that's very significant. Do you remember in the life of David, after the banishment of Absalom, that Absalom was brought back to Jerusalem, and he dwelt two full years in Jerusalem where the king was, but he saw not the king's face. That won't be our position, brothers and sisters. We are not going to dwell where he is, but not be with him. He's praying that we would not only be in the place where he is, but that we would be with Christ in heaven. And that significant phrase of with me, I mean, that speaks of intimate endearing communion that we have with the Lord not just that we're going to have access to him it's not just that he's going to be available by appointment It's not that when we finally, that we'll one day finally get our audience with him after waiting in line behind the apostles and behind the martyrs and behind the reformers and behind the Puritans and behind the preachers of the Great Awakenings. Okay, then it'll be our turn to have our one day with him. That's not how it'll be. With him. Enjoying unbroken Fellowship and communion with Christ to all eternity. That's what he's praying for. That we would know unbroken communion with him forever. And I have to pause. And I have to, in faithfulness to you, ask you a question, therefore. Do you desire that? Do you desire unbroken fellowship and communion with Jesus Christ? Because fellowship with Christ is not just a blessing reserved for heaven, is it? Fellowship with Christ is something that you may enjoy now. Are you pursuing it? Are you... When is the last time that you deliberately shut out everything else so that you, with intentionality, could draw near to God? Friends, we are as close to God as we want to be. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. So you are right now as close to God as you want to be. So can you honestly say that you desire fellowship with Christ if it's not something you desire now if it is not a part of your experience now if it is not something that you enjoy now if it is something that you avoid now that what makes you think that you'll enjoy it forever being with him I realize that in our current fellowship with Christ, we deal with all sorts of infirmities and distractions and cares and sins, and all those things will be God, God be praised, they will all be removed in glory. There will be no distractions, there will be no sin, there will be no infirmities. And that fellowship will be unbroken and unending. But what I'm asking is this, do you know anything, anything of an experience of being satisfied in his presence now? Do you long for fellowship with him now? Do you pursue time with him now? Because he who does not enjoy communion with Christ on earth is not going to enjoy it in heaven. If the idea of being with Christ is not interesting to you now, then you likely don't have any interest in this final request of our Lord. Because His request is not just that you'll be in a perfect place. He's asking that you would know unbroken eternal Fellowship with him, that you would be with him where he is. So the petition is that we would be in a certain place, but enjoying a certain communion. And then third, that we would behold his glory. It says that in the, verse, in the middle of the verse, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. What is this? Well, you have to differentiate in this prayer the two types of glory that he refers to. There is, first of all, the glory that he had from before the foundation of the world. It is not given to him. He has it as the eternal Son of God, equal in power and glory to the Father and the Spirit. The Son is glorious in himself. It's not something given to him. There is a glory which the eternal Son of God has that is not derived, it's not given. He has it essentially. But then there is a glory that he refers to in this passage that is given to him. And the glory that is given to him is the reward of his sufferings. It's the exaltation as the God-man. In his death, he was exalted. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. He was exalted even in his death. Even nature exalted him in his death. And he was exalted and glorified when he was raised from the dead vindicating who he was, demonstrating that he had fully satisfied God, setting him apart as the Son of God with power. He was glorified in his resurrection. He was glorified 40 days later when he ascended. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory is coming in. And when those everlasting doors were opened, he entered into the heavenly temple and he entered not with animal blood like Old Testament high priests, but by his own blood he entered. And he presented that blood, and the father was satisfied. And the father said, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the heavenly choir sang, God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with a sound of trumpet. And he was glorified when he was ascended. And now the victorious God-man sits enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And he's glorified in heaven. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And one day he'll return. And he'll come to be admired in the saints and in all them that believe. And he'll be glorified on the earth and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That's the glory we're talking about. The reward of his sufferings. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Philippians 2, glory. And that glory of the Son shall continue forever. And there will ever be new manifestations of his excellence. And his redeemed people are going to know ever-growing capacities for love and for admiration and for esteem of him. He's praying that we would behold that glory. That we would behold the glory of the exalted God-man reigning in heaven and on earth. This, of course, was the anticipation of Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin's worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, And my eye shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. It was David's expectation. In one of the Psalms, he says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And the Apostle John spoke of this when he said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beholding the glory of Christ in heaven. And there is a present tense nature to that word behold. It's not just that one time they'll get a glimpse. It's not what Moses experienced, being hidden in the cleft of the rock and seeing his hinder parts pass by. It's beholding his glory for all eternity. With him, where he is, beholding his glory. I suppose it's fitting for us to inquire, when is this petition fulfilled for the Lord's people? When is this prayer answered for the Lord's people? And the answer is actually twofold. It's answered in reference to them individually, immediately upon their death but it is answered in reference to them as a body at the return of the Lord Jesus in the great resurrection day. You see, if you are someone who has placed your faith in the Lord Jesus on the basis of apostolic testimony, then this desire that the Lord has, it will be answered in your case immediately upon your death. There is a sense in which every time a believer dies, Jesus' prayer is being answered by the Father. That's why it's precious in the sight of the Lord to have one of his saints die. Because he's been praying for this ever since his exaltation, that those whom the Father had given him would be with him where he is and be beholding his glory so the souls of believers are at their death made perfect and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. And Paul assures us, absent from the body is present with the Lord. He says to depart is to be with Christ which is far better. There's very little that we know about that state when we are disembodied, when we've died but not yet received our resurrection body. But we do know that we will be with him in the glory and be beholding his glory. But then a day will come When the last individual who had been given by the Father to the Son is brought to repentance and faith. And the whole number of the elect will be complete. And then the yearnings of our Savior's heart for the gathering in of all of his own will no longer be repressed. And think about this. He will, for one last final time, say, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. And at that moment, the trumpet will sound, and there'll be the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the The voice and the trumpet will resonate throughout all the heavens and the graves will be opened and the redeemed bodies that have been resting in Jesus will ascend to meet the Lord in the air and so shall they ever be with the Lord. And on that great day, when for the first time ever, Our Savior sees the whole company of the redeemed gathered in, completely saved, soul and body. Then he will see of the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. And all whom the Father has given Him will be completely saved by Him and then will be with Him where He is, beholding the glory that the Father has given Him. What a scene that will be. Brothers and sisters, what a scene. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And Jesus will know his sovereign desire answered. Only by his grace can this be so. And only due to the finished work of Jesus Christ can this be the case. Our hearts ought to be so smitten this morning that such truths have been revealed to us and that such grace has been given to us and that such a provision has been made for us in the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we can have an interest in John seventeen twenty four. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know enjoyment of fellowship with him? Is it the longing of your heart to be with him in unbroken fellowship. He is a worthy Savior who has died for sinners and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And he is worthy of all of our praise and worthy of being lived for. And fellowship with him is worthy of being sought after. It's the one needful thing. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I want us to sing a hymn together as we prepare for coming to the Lord's table I want us to sing hymn number 218. And we're just going to sing it without the instruments. We're just going to sing it together. Just our voices in response to the glory of our Savior revealed in the Word. Hymn 218, all hail the power of Jesus' name. And we'll sing the first verse. And then we'll sing the third verse, Ye Seed of Israel. And the last verse, So that with yonder sacred throng. Let's stand together and let's sing All Hail to Power. The first tune, All Hail to Power, 2.18. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels You notice at the end of that verse, what is the guarantee that this will be the case? What is the guarantee that all those who were given by the Father to the Son will be with Jesus in glory and behold his glory there? It's that the Father loved the Son. From before the foundation of the world. That's Jesus' plea. That's the argument that he makes. Think about that. It was because the Father loved the Son that he gave him a people to begin with. It was a love gift from the Father to the Son. And it was because the Father loved the Son that he appointed him to that exalted office of being the mediator for those sinners, receiving from them endless praise throughout all eternity because they owe everything to him. What an exalted office that was given to him, and was given to him because the Father loved the Son. He said earlier, In the Gospel of John, he said, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. And you know, our Savior never forfeited the love of God. He never did anything to cause the Father to love him any less than he did. He did everything rather to confirm that love. He kept his commandment, and he abided in his love. Remember that from John 15? He kept his commandment, and he abided in God's love. And he was about to lay down his life for the sheep, and the Father loved him for this. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. So isn't it right, therefore, for him to argue that since the eternal love of God to the Son lies at the foundation of the whole plan of salvation, and since the Son had done nothing to forfeit that love of God but only confirmed it by obedience of a Son and a demonstration of love in return that had never been seen before, Isn't it therefore appropriate for him when he comes to asking for the very consummation of his work that we would be with him in the glory? Isn't it fitting that he would argue from first principles because thou lovest me from before the foundation of the world? This is a wonderful soul-stabilizing plea, brothers and sisters. It's not that you're going to be in heaven because the Father loves you, although that's true. It's that you're going to be in heaven because the Father loves the Son. And that is an even stronger argument than the former. Because how could that ever change? Thou lovest me from before the foundation of the world. That's his plea. And the Lord Jesus has appointed unto us a means, in the meantime, before we're with him in glory and beholding his glory, a means for us to show the Lord's death till he comes. And it's the table that he instituted. By this, we're showing, we're declaring the Lord's death. And it ought to be to us a little foretaste of glory divine. It's called communion, after all, which is what we'll enjoy unbroken with him for all eternity. And so here is a, a foretaste, a glimpse of the glory that awaits believers when we will one day assemble at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Today we come around the table that He's instituted for us that we might show the Lord's death till He come. And so we're going to fellowship with Him through the elements You do not have to be a member of this church to partake with us. The scriptural standard is self-examination. Let a man examine himself. Whether or not your profession of faith is genuine. Whether or not you are walking with the Lord. Whether or not there is anything between your soul and the Savior. Let a man examine himself. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I urge you, in the quietness of the hour, to examine yourself, Deal honestly with God. He will deal honestly with you. The men are going to distribute the elements, and then once everyone has them, we'll partake together as a body. In the meantime, seek the Lord and examine your relationship with Him. Men, will you come?